You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Live Different Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with Tyle Roxon. I'm really excited to talk to him because he is a speaker, consultant, strategist, media personality, a guy with a great podcast. Uh, a strategic leadership firm called UYD Management, and he helps corporations talk about diversity, inclusion, hiring, retention, but he also is someone who has lived and worked on four different continents, and uh, he has two TED Talks, and I want to get into public speaking with him as he has a masterclass coming up and a lot of value to share with the audience here today. So, uh, Tayo, how's it going? It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have uh, to be on here, Matt, and I'm um, looking forward to diving into those topics. I really love conversational podcasts. Uh, and so, you know, hoping to share all I know and just trade stories. That's the yeah, fun part. Absolutely. And I, uh, I want to, again, we're chatting a little bit before I want to use this time to really just get to know you and let the audience get to know you because you're you're someone who seems to have a lot to offer and I don't want to lose people when they say oh man this is going to be on diversity and inclusion and I, I need something lighter to listen to because it's such a we live in such uh god at, at times it seems like deep dark times um, mm. especially we're recording this on election uh midterm election eve we don't have to get too political but uh <laughs> man, people gotta vote that's for sure yeah uh, so huh? anyway yeah i'm sure i'm sure you got it wait, wait, let's can we take take you back take to, it back to the beginning <laughs> yeah take it back to the beginning and um where where okay. do you where do you come from? How do you answer that question when someone says where do you come from? So it's interesting for me. I um I need to take the audience back to the basics. So for me, I'm a Nigerian, right? And um, that's my full nationality. And I grew up in five countries and four continents because of my dad's job as a diplomat. But the first nine years of my life were spent under two military dictatorships. So you know a lot of what you see in dictatorships are you know suppression of opponents, muzzling of the press countless violations of human rights. That that was my everyday reality. Um, seeing that, you know, people judging each other based on tribal groups or religious groups and things like that. Uh, but I, I remember very, you know, very young, very, at a very young age, around the time I was eight, nine, I was always curious about what type of leader it would take to lead such a diverse group of people. And Nigeria is a country with at least 250 ethnic groups. So how do you get all these people to, to on one table where everybody feels happy? And it was just always something in my head because you would see that. And I, I was watching my, my own, one of my heroes, Nelson Mandela, as he was um, transitioning. He was basically the, the first black president in South Africa and also um, dealing with the politics there. That was kind of my parallel, wanting to get out there and looking at someone who I felt was um, was getting there. And when we eventually transitioned to civilian rule in 99, uh, I believe it was May 29, 1999, I, I still remember that thought in my head. How does one effectively connect across cultures? And I started to get those clues as my dad's job as a diplomat began to take us to different parts of the world. I was now a skinny Nigerian kid with a thick Nigerian accent in a French-speaking country in an American international school going through puberty. And 
you know, in a place where everybody was different, I felt different. And the nuance of figuring out who you are in between all these cultures, your hair looks different, you sound different, you smell weird, your food is that. All those little things that kids are so honest with, but they, they hit at you and hit at your identity were things that I was grappling with. And I eventually, you know, found myself, you know, through sports and, and, and also observation and seeing how to basically code switch uh, in between different areas at home and school, um, elsewhere. And, um, but, you know, I, I initially honestly had an identity crisis, though, with all these moves. And I, at that point, I always tell people that want to be entrepreneurs, you start off with the problem that you want to solve that's most personal to you. The most personal problem to me was how do I figure out how to exist in this multiple worlds? And for me, my identity crisis was how can I exist where people keep telling me you're not Nigerian enough, you're not black enough, you're not this enough, you're not that enough, you sound this, but you look this, should you be that? And I, I was like, okay, this is a problem I want to solve. Why do people feel so quick uh, to judge people based on where they're from or how they sound? And then I connected it to a, to a world problem. So connect the problem that's personal to you to a global problem. I connected it to a global problem, and that is, um, you know, we live in this globalized and digitalized world, yet people still don't know how to connect. You know, we have all the tools with the internet and everything, but we still are quick to be tribalistic, and we don't do the hard work of knowing the other person. And and that became the podcast. The podcast was formed in that premise. I would bring on different people from different parts of the world who grew up in a similar way that I did to talk about how to embrace a global identity. And then gradually, I was doing this while I was getting my MBA. Gradually, the audience started to grow and then people started to say, hey, I didn't grow up that way, but I love to share a perspective on that. And I developed my mission statement, use your difference to make a difference. Because to me, using your difference to make a difference is as much a personal call to action to embrace, to celebrate your individuality and launch something off of that as it is a celebration of diversity around us. And, you know, once that started to happen, that led to um, speaking engagements. I started to get a lot of emails. I still get a lot of emails from people saying, I didn't know that my story existed. I didn't know that that person, uh, that someone else grew up the way I did. And the fact that I was getting this from people ranging from 10 year old to 65 just made me realize that at the core, everybody wants to feel like they're seen, heard, and understood. And so that was the premise of, of what, what, what everything I've done. What it, it's me helping people to be better public speakers and me going to uh, companies to end up um, creating inclusive environments. I always want people to understand the power of identity and create safe spaces for that. But it started from my personal story and then I, I made it a career. That's great and I, I love how you linked your personal story or your personal challenge and a global challenge that right. we, that we uh, face because that's a big market you know you yeah. could do well with the, you could do well with that uh, <laughs> on a global scale so yeah. what do they say uh, uh, act act locally and think think globally act locally yeah act locally think globally and you know you you bring such a good point because I, I, when I was starting this right I, I, I you know I have an MBA um, I come from Nigeria where you're supposed to be a lawyer, engineer, or doctor. And I'm the oldest, right? So this, these are like, you know, I'm the oldest of three boys. I'm supposed to set the example, but here I'm this risky guy. Can you imagine telling my, my parents saying, hey, I, you know, I launched a podcast that seems to be doing well. I don't know what the podcast is going to be, but I, I feel like my career is on the precipice of this. And they're like, but you're spending all this money for school. It's like, what, what are we spending the money for with school? And they're like, uh, no, I'm just telling you, this is what I want to do. Um, but it, it was so interesting for me because 
and we can dive into this when we go into failures uh, portions of this because my life has been full of interesting failures as I've become an entrepreneur because I was the only one that saw what I wanted to see and I got a slew of rejections. But in between being broke and all these things, I said that I had to do what was most important to me. And this was before Brexit. This was before diversity and inclusion was a, was a buzzword. And this was before uh, the recent elections with Trump and everyone. And, it, and looking back, I feel like it was necessary for me to go through all that because now when people search for solutions for that, they always, they come up to my stuff and they're like, oh, you didn't just come up with this because of this. You've been doing this for a while and they go back and look at the archives. But I remember back then, it wasn't easy because I didn't know what the next rent was coming and I was dealing with family pressures and everyone that I went to school with saying, you are throwing away your life and your degree. And it's always interesting when, as an entrepreneur, when you can see a problem and you believe it's there, uh, what can happen if you stick with it? Because sometimes the market does end up meeting with you. But it, it, you know, it's a tough time when you, you, know, you, you can't really figure out to pay the bills because that wasn't me, certainly. That, that's yeah, great, that's and I'm great. glad that you were very straightforward very about failures, failures as well. As well. Uh, I just spoke yeah. at the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization at their global conference. I was hosted in Kansas City this year. That was just this weekend, and uh, you know, there's so much hype around. Of course, everybody here wants to hear your success stories, but all these college students were saying the same thing. I have you know this massive amount of debt that I'm coming out with. I want to start my own thing. Everyone is saying, are you crazy? How do you deal with that? And yeah. uh, that's, I guess I'll ask you that question. Yeah. How, how did you face your your parents and your, your you know, in your society? Yeah, you were, supposed yeah. To, you were supposed to be one of those people in the traditional paths. So, so I, let me just give you a list of my failures. So, because this has been happening for a long time. <laughs> so I graduated initially uh, undergrad 2011. And between 2010, 2011, I was, um, you know, applying to colleges uh, to for jobs. You know, I knew that I wanted to do something on a global level, but I didn't quite know. I got a marketing degree. So I was like, I was going to do marketing and help a company I believe in to promote ideas that I believe in. So I applied, 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 applied over 85 jobs. Wow. All of them said, no, said you're too young, you're not experienced, and I'm not a citizen, so you don't have the visa and all that kind of stuff. We don't sponsor. And it was very discouraging because I was doing this over the course of a year. I thought you know, my GPA was great. I was involved in every, I ran two nonprofits while I was on campus. It was everywhere. And I was like, okay, all right, this is what American companies like to look for. Like you could show your extracurricular activities in addition to your grades. They all said no, and it was a direct result of whether it was my age or the fact that I was from another country and you know, company sponsoring visas can be tricky. So I then went back to all the people that had given me internships previously before and said, hey, this is my situation. I have a year to figure out how to stay here, and the only way I can stay in America is if I get a job. Do you have any job? And one of them said, oh, yeah, sure, you know, Social media is kind of popping right now. I think two, Twitter was two years old or something. And I've been very, I've always been active on Twitter. And he said, ah, well, then he noticed that I had a large following on Twitter. He said, hey, could you come do our thing here, our social media? And um, I was like, yes, I could do that. And I did that within like the first few months or the first month they, they switched the role to, uh, on me and said, hey, we don't, we don't really believe in social media. So you're, you're now a salesman and your quote is $10,000. And I didn't know anything about sales. There was wow. no orientation. So I was like, ah, oh. I was now in this position where, 
You know, you're not a citizen. You feel like you're stupid if you, you're looking your gift horse in the, in the mouth. So like, I just said, oh, well, they sponsored. They, they're the reason I'm here, so I'll just deal with it. And I remember having these thoughts where I was like, I can't believe that this is going to be the next 60 years of my life. I was this kid that was watching dictators and saying, I'm going to change the world. And I, I love Nelson Mandela and Oprah Winfrey, they're my biggest uh, role models. And I'm now I'm trapped here. And, I, and a few things happened. I, one night I woke up in cold sweats, the same thought can't believe this is going to be the next 60 years of my life. And then another thing was I came I came to New York City to see a mentor of mine because he had gotten a job in Ithaca. So we, he was upstate. And then we came down to watch a basketball game um, in Madison Square Garden because we're both basketball fans. And I remember stepping into the city and feeling alive for the first time in a long time because I've always been someone that's been attracted to like a, a busyness of a city where there's always some type of hustle. That's my personality. Sure, it's and, New York City, Madison yeah, Square it, Garden. It, That's an inspiring I, place. I know, right? So I was like, oh, I just felt, oh my gosh, this is where I need to be. But then I didn't have any path to get there. So I went back and I was just stuck. And then August 22, 2012, I was driving to work in my burgundy Toyota Camry at the time in Virginia. And I got onto the part where the road merged into the highway. You know, I stepped on the accelerator pedal. So I was cruising on my lane, 60 miles an hour. All of a sudden, this neighboring car loses control and it cuts my lane into half. And so I'm swerving out the way so I don't get hit. But then I smash into the left guardrail, boom, hit one car, boom, two cars, boom, back to the right guardrail, boom. And then the left guardrail, this time it hits the, the bridge with such impact that the car, my car lifts up. And I think I'm gonna flip over the bridge, but there's only one thought that comes to my mind. I'm 22 years old and the thought is this, have you done everything you said you were gonna do in your life? Because you, that, I was like, literally, this is it. And I was, the only thing I could think of was I haven't done anything. And at the same time, adrenaline kicked in, I slammed the brakes. I somehow managed to get out of the car. But my car was totaled, I was unscathed, there were two cars hit, so it was three of us. Whoa. And that was my wake-up call where I quit my job shortly after that and moved to the only place I felt alive, New York City. And because uh, you, you know, you're, not, you're not a citizen, you can either work or go to school, I applied to schools and got into, into Fordham. When I was applying to schools, this is more fearless, virtually all the schools rejected me because my GPA was high, but my GMAT was low. And then so w what happened was, you know, I... They were like, no, we can't really, we don't know if we get here. And then the school I ended up going to for them, they conditionally accepted me. And they said, I needed to prove to them the first semester was good. So I was like, that's enough of me. I'm moving. So I moved. And then I came here. They told me to take only two classes to, to see my um, my expertise level. But I took five. And I, <laughs> and, and I, when I, once, I, once I finished the semester, I got a 3.9 GPA. I went to the lady and said, hey, here are my uh, grades. She was like, she was mad at me. We told you to take two. I was like, but I got a 3.9. She's like, all right, fine, whatever. Um, and so once that was lifted, I started making New York City my campus. Fordham has a, a logo that says Fordham is my school, New York City is my campus. And literally, I, that's when I started the la launching a podcast where I was I was going to school at night, coming to the coming to do the podcast because it's I do it over Skype as like you do, sure. and it's different um, continents, so different time zones. And once I started to do the podcast, I started to really feel alive for more for the first time. And many people listening will probably understand this point where you feel like you're doing what you're supposed to do, but you haven't found a way to monetize it. That was me for the longest time. So I just knew that this was something I was supposed to do. Didn't know how to monetize it. And then I started to do something even braver. I started to stop going to all these uh, <laughs> recruiting trips because in, 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 uh, in your MBA program, people come here to recruit. I was like, no, 
I'm not going to do it. Uh, Deloitte's here. Yeah, I'm going to work in a podcast. And (laughs) I did that for a while. And when graduation came, um, I had actively chosen not to do any, go to any place to give me an offer. And I was still here with this popular podcast with not no means to make money. And I just started to take um, consulting jobs based on my expertise. First consulting job I took, I was like, well, okay, they pay money. Good. I can work in my job. Great. And then um, if, a couple, one month in, a lady came in. She was the new CMO. Uh, she gave me an assignment. She didn't like how I did it. She called me into the office. She said, hey, just want to let you know we're letting you go. Bam. I was like, and that was the first time I ever got fired. And uh, she was like, yeah, we don't really feel like you're competent enough and I have my own people. And she told me not to make a scene. It was insane. I was, I was just looking at her. I couldn't even say anything. I, she just told me, go take your computer and walk out the door. So I went, took my computer. I, when I went to my computer, they already logged me out. I was like, this is just savage and savage level. I remember going back home and just crying and bawling and like oh. thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Like, I don't have any means of money and this is crazy. And then I, um, after the crying, I just said, let me just focus on making this a media platform. And then I kept working and doing odd jobs in between uh, around the consultant thing. And it was just like, you know, figure out month to month, whatever. And in my in my head, and I wasn't telling my parents or anyone. They were just kind of, they were worried, very cautiously worried. My parents were always worried about me because I'm their oldest. And like, and, but I was just telling them, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, gosh, you got to figure out how to pay rent. This is New York City. And, and I was going to like co-working spaces to eat. I, I, I'd be in my suit. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know the person in this co-working space. I'll just sit down on my computer and then eat the breakfast for lunch, breakfast and dinner. And then one of my mentors, the guy that took me to um, that, that actually uh, I met, I came to see in New York that really sparked my dream, said, hey, we've been watching you. We love what you're doing with your brand. I'm a new CEO at this company. I think we can figure out a way to merge your company. So I was like, oh, Eureka. So I went there and then it became quickly evident that there wasn't going to be a new merge. So, because we just had different values. And, um, but I was like, still a good place to make money, at least the stability and whatever. So I was like, great. I finally have some money to do some stuff uh, and focus on my job. So I was doing a nine to five, five to nine. It was pretty, it can be tiring because I'll be running out to do speaking engagements, coming back. And then eventually my, my boss had been noticing this the whole time. He's still a mentor, but he called me up and said, look, we've been watching you for a while, especially me. Uh, I just feel like you need to do what you're, you need to go do what you're doing. So I'm going to let you go. In my mind, I was like, I was just going to quit like two months after that so I could save enough money. But it was like, no, we'll let you go to the end of the month. I was like, Rob, I need the money. It was like, and he looked at me. He still jokes about this to me. He said, if you're going to be successful, you're going to figure out how to make the money. And I thought that's the coldest thing you could ever say to me. Where I was like, whatever. Uh, but so, I did that, and then after that, I really, I took to heart everything I've done. I said, Tayo, you've been selling yourself short. You've done so much. You've built an audience. People know your voice for this. Why don't you package yourself as the person that knows how to solve this problem? Stop playing it safe, even though I thought I wasn't playing it safe. Stop playing it safe. So I created my story into one pager, started reaching out to a bunch of companies and a, and a bunch of TEDx organizations. I said, this is who I am. This is what I've done. This is what I believe the problem is. I, my personal story is this, 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 this is what I've done on a profession that I've spoken at the world. At that time, I'd spoken at the World Bank, United Nations Foundations, and I have a podcast in 150 countries. So 
what if I came there and did a workshop on how to connect effective across cultures, how to do all that? And then one after like a series of emails, one eventually said yes. And then um, I was able to then start leveraging that. And then say at the, simultaneously, I was also applying to TEDx talks, uh, TEDx organizations. And I applied to 18 over the span of two years and none had really responded. And then I followed up with a few. And then one of the one of the few people I followed up with said, hey, oh, sorry, we forgot to respond. You're in. This is like the, after the 18th try. And then I was like, oh, wait, I'm in? What do you mean? I was like, yeah, yeah, you're in. And like, yeah, we love your topic on how to connect across cultures. Come. <laughs> and then the other TEDx I had, I had followed up with said the same thing. Hey, oh, we didn't respond. I'm sorry, but you're in. And I was now like, I can't do the same, same talk. So they're like, okay, well, figure something out. We like your story and our theme is one. So, you know, it's about unity. And this was right after the lectures. Um, and so everybody was just scrambling for that type of content. And then it all started to like pay off at the end. But all this, you know, the first story I told you about how I got here and the, the story I just told you, they were happening simultaneously. <laughs> and so if I told you the first one, you'd be like, oh, this guy just had all the whatever. And this is what was really going underneath all that. So that's why I wanted to give you the dichotomy. No, that, that's really cool. And I heard uh, or when I was doing my research, I, I clicked both of your TED Talks and I was like, damn, these are like a, a few months apart. Like they're almost yeah. the same. They, you almost did them the same day. You know, you see. Usually when I have guests, I, I try to find out. I, I look at their TED Talks if they have any to see what's the most recent. Okay, that'll be most relevant to speak with them about. Uh, that's probably the, the direction of their, their content right now. And I was like, wow, this guy's really uh, really putting the hammer down on these TED Talks. Damn. Yeah. yeah. And you know what happened after the two? The third one is, not out, is very internal. Um, so I've done three. L'Oreal the organization reached out to me. They reached out to me to say, hey, we're hosting our first internal talk. We've heard about you. We want you to be one of our speakers. And I remember feeling so humbled and same thing with United Nations this year and, and Chautauqua and all these things. But that was the moment where I started to feel humbled. But, you know, I'm sure you have similar stories where it, a lot of this entrepreneurship, sometimes it can be a very lonely journey and stuff like that. But People can misread your situation if they look at your your online presence and say, this person must have it all, and they might not understand what is actually going on underneath that. That's why I'm always transparent about everything. It's not, you know, you can be an effective storyteller, but if you're not connecting with an audience, um, it can be really, really hard to make a living. Absolutely. This is actually something uh, that my girlfriend talks a lot about. About You know, she's a, she's a yoga teacher and being vulnerable with her students because people see her and she's you know she's beautiful and she the she just has this aura about her and people think like oh everything in her life must be perfect because she's skinny or like you know what i mean mm -hmm. and she's mm. she's sure to make sure when she puts up you know a picture a pretty picture on instagram or something not talk about what's really going on uh yeah and be be real with people um i i wanted to to unpack a little bit your steps that you took to to get here because a lot of that happened pretty it sounded quick but I know there was a lot of legwork. So first I wanted to talk about the podcast. I got a lot of questions from, uh, I, 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 I received a lot of questions from uh, this conference where I spoke at the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization about, okay, so you have this platform. 
Um, now I've been po- uh, I've been podcasting for three three and a half years. I think I have mm-hmm. 125 130 episodes out. That's like uh, 150, say 175 weeks I've been doing it. I have maybe 130. So that's consistency over a long mm-hmm. period of time, but not quite one per week. But pretty I'm pretty proud of that. But you've mm-hmm. got a lot more content out. I mean, you've got 400 and something episodes. And yeah. I think in a much shorter time period. You know, well, I think it's close by. So mine was 2014 August. So I started about four and a half years ago. So Okay, so you've been going longer. Yeah, but I haven't, missed a week. I haven't missed a week since August, since Damn, that day. Good so. on you. That's, that's great. So, Okay, so tell me how you, because you've even stepped up the frequency, it sounds like you do them even yeah. more now. Uh, so could you talk to me real quick about building your audience? Because that was the platform that you had and, you know, your Twitter yeah. following and all that. And then you were able to monetize that, which we can get into. Absolutely. That's a great question, by the way. So... I started with what I I knew when I moved after the near death experience and moved to New York City and I finally figured out how to get out of conditional <laughs> conditional acceptance. I was just like, who am I and what do I know? I know what I want to solve, but who am I at my core? I'm this guy who grew up in five countries and four continents. What does that make you? You are in between cultures and you were someone who was passionate about international relations and getting people to connect. How can you tell? What were the countries? I, I, I would love to know oh, just sorry. so people can get a, an idea. Sure, absolutely. So Nigeria, obviously where I'm from, Sweden, Vietnam, Burkina Faso, United States. Um, Whoa. Yeah. So, so yeah. And, and I was like, okay. I, I came across this term called third culture kids. So third culture kids are, for those listening, is third culture kids or TCK. That's an, TCK is the acronym for third culture kids. And it basically refers to people that spent the formative periods of their lives outside of the parents' culture. So diplomatic kids, missionary kids, army brats, people that have international careers, all these people that are always in between. And I just come across that term and I was like, wow, there is a term for that. And I w- I remember sitting in an Ariana Huffington event because um, I, I, I was literally making New York City my campus. I was going to every free event I could go to. And she was she just made a, a throwaway comment about how she kept a Greek accent and you know, it kept who she was. And I just remember thinking to myself, I wonder if there's a platform out there for people that look like they're not supposed to sound and sound like they're not supposed to look. Because people always said, always said about me. And I was like, you know what? I just found that term TCK. I'm going to go find out more about them and talk about how we can teach people how to embrace the global identity. And so I went on Twitter. <laughs> this is how I found my audience. And used the hashtag TCK. And then um, and I, and I just, everyone that puts... TCK in their bio or identified in some way, I, re- I created a list on Twitter and, so, and I was, the plan was to reach out to each one of them. I was like, hey, I'm a TCK, you're a TCK, I wanna tell you a story. No one talks about us. And, and that was what I, that's what I was doing. And I got over 80 yeses. And then, I, and then at the same time, I was joining every Facebook group that had third culture kids. And I started re- writing about my experience as a third culture kid and I would share in these groups. Just share, this is my story, this is my story, I'm just doing this. and. Between that with the with the with the with the, the audience and all that and me basically saying I want to tell you a story and people now telling me yes I was like oh shoot I have to launch this I just have to I just told them I was gonna tell the story I have to launch a podcast so I, I signed up for like this I, there was a launch a podcast course I just signed up for it I paid for it and then I learned about you get a mic you get it you do it via Skype you can use eCam bam and I was like I already have the people and I started scheduling and then um, once I scheduled. I started publishing 
and and then and what had happened was this is for those listening. I had gotten to the point where I was now writing about my experience as a third culture kid. I was now embedded in all the groups that I knew, the prominent groups on LinkedIn, Facebook, and and Twitter, on TCKs. And then by the time it came for me to launch the podcast, it was just given. It was like, hey, this guy has really been showing up here. It's like <laughs> he's telling the story. We've never met him before, but he's always coming every week with some idea on what he, what he feels TCKs are. And then now it's his podcast, and some of the people in the group are guests of the podcast. So they're like, hey, we'll, we'll share. And then I did the old school thing. I emailed every one of my face. I spent a whole day doing this on my Facebook. Hey, I have a podcast. Leave a review, please. All of my on my on my uh, uh, phone list as well. Hey, you know, you know, whatever. Just listen, please. First episode, first five up there. And th- and that and that's how it started to really grow. And then once you know, sometimes the algorithms went up there with, with uh, um, iTunes. You know, I started to make like new and noteworthy, and then I started to get the the organic, and then. It really blew up when one day um, I was going to bed in between like some group project at Fordham and someone just sent me a Facebook message said and said, congratulations. And I was like, I don't have a kid. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, you're the number two business podcast in 2014. And at some person that was curating a list on Entrepreneurs Online version at I don't know, maybe somehow read, listened to one of my episodes and decided to put me as number two behind like John Lee Dumas or something. And I knew all these people had bigger numbers, but I was like, wow, I caught the attention of the right person randomly. They didn't even tell me. I wouldn't have known if this person didn't tell me. But then the download started to grow and, and all that. But it really started with me just doing the hustle. And then I, I guess someone, the right person heard it and decided to put it on the year end list. Um, and then you know, it started, but it was all that, uh, that's how that that audience started to grow. And then, you know, the consistency really. Damn, that's awesome. I mean, yeah, uh, like you said, a lot of hustle you gave, uh, you just reach, you just did lots of random reaching out and, and yeah, you, you made it happen for yourself. So that's, that's amazing. Congratulations on that. And then how do you take that audience? Now you've got some credibility around it. Um, and even when you can just say, hey, I have published X amount of podcasts, people look at that and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, wow. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. That's that's commitment. This person has commitment or your 200 plus reviews that you hustled for. I saw that and I was like, OK, this guy's this guy's content is legit. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that was you know, that was a big part of me reaching out to you and, and wanting to have you on on my show. So my question now for you is how did you take that credibility that you built from absolutely nothing from scratch? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did you start picking up some of these speaking gigs? So my first speaking gig fortuitously, uh, fortuitously, I can't use that word fortuitively and uh, whatever the word fortunately I you had be sim- one time. And wait, I, w- I want to stop you. I think you said a country before that I hadn't even heard of. Burkina Faso. Yes. Uh, could yes. you explain? It's a I'm this. Okay. Damn. <laughs> country in West Africa, French-speaking country in West Africa. Uh, the capital was Ouagadougou, and um, yes, a lot of West Africa is colonized by was colonized by France. Nigeria is also in West Africa, but we were colonized by England. Um, but yeah, Burkina Faso. That's wow. The, okay, yeah. and say the name of the capital. That was amazing. Okay, the name of the capital is Ouagadougou. Okay. All right. I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> to study up a little bit, but I want to know that capital next time somebody asks me. 
<laughs> all right, go on, go on. Uh, no, honestly, okay. people always tell me that. Every time I say all the countries, are like, oh, yeah, I know that. Oh, wait, what? What's your, what, what did you say? <laughs> exactly. um, but to answer your question, um, the first speaking gig I got so was a listener of the podcast. And you know, when I always say start what you know, this um, lady was working at the, the World Bank, right? And she's like, hey, you don't know me. I listen to your show. But um, someone in the TCK, whatever network, forwarded to her and said, hey, I work at World Bank. We're doing something on Kids of Diplomats. We don't pay. But if you can come to D.C. this weekend. In my mind, I was like, I heard World Bank and I was thinking leverage. You can do that. That's a good thing. And then so I went there and then I did it. And then I saw that I had a knack for it and I was connecting with these kids. And then um, I started to, you know, in between gradually do that. And then when first time I got fired, in between those fires, I was like, I've got to really figure out how to tell my story well because people are finding me organically and they love me. I need to be more proactive about going to that audience. And at that time, I had done World Bank and United Nations foundations and things like that. So I needed to figure out, which is where I'm about uh, the mass class I'm talking about, which is helping people tell the stories and be better speakers. Is I realized that if you know how to package your story and tell yourself to the right people. Um, people will love that because at that point I, I had done the work, but I had a limiting belief that I was too young, um, that I wasn't this person, I wasn't that person, and they already have that. And I was just telling myself all these like weird lies in my head. And uh, it took me getting fired multiple times for me to really be at my wits end, where I had to ask myself, do you, you technically, with your MBA, you could get a job at a uh, something. But if you want to make this thing a serious career, you have to be better at not at positioning yourself as a problem solver in a market in front of the right people. And you can't be shy about that. And I've always had an interesting relationship with money where I always felt uh, weird, queasy about it. But then I had to reshape my mindset and say, it's not about you feeling weird. You deserve the money and sure. the money allows you to continue to serve. Everybody that you're comparing yourself to they have salaries where they get the things first and 15th they're getting paid for what they do why shouldn't you get paid so i had to tell myself that um but it was a mindset thing so having a platform where you can reach people helps one but also knowing how to tell your story with your, with your platform in today's world a lot of people can be very superficial but if you can say look this these are my audience these are the people in the audience these are the engagement stats these are the things they normally want for me I you need that uh, you need that from your audience. You're looking for ways to connect. I would love to have a conversation. That's more attractive than you saying I have X amount of followers on here and here and leaving it at that. Right? You have to be able to tell the full story. You you why you why they listen to you and why they need you. Uh, and that, I got better about that um, as I grew older. Okay, uh, few things. A lot, lot of really valuable stuff in there. I, I want to go back to the mindset on money and i'm sure there are people listening that that struggle with this i had to hack this within myself and look back at my own beliefs on money and how i was how i was raised and what i deserve and, and mm -hmm. all of that so could you could you maybe give uh the listeners a little bit on what they could do at home if they're struggling with the same thing sure so i, I one of the a book i definitely recommend is i'm a badass at making money uh okay. Uh, which or you're a badass and make money. I think that's what it's called. Yep. Um, but it's a great book. But the reason why I love that is because a lot of people 
work out physically and you, you people that work out physically, they, you know that you have to go through a degree of pain and struggle before you get there. You know, you, ah, I could do five reps for 35, uh, 35 pounds and then now nah, I can do seven reps and I can do that. But it's structured, controlled failure. But you know the one thing that people don't normally work out often is the mind, right? When you first wake up, how do you think about your day? What do you put in, in here that eventually goes out? In, in myself, I've always been a very positive person and I've always gone that. But the thing that I, I realized was I was very comfortable being positive and telling people about everything, but I didn't secretly believe that I was worth the money that um, I saw others asking for. And so I was asking people, hey, look at the mirror and ask yourself how much you feel like you deserve to be paid for. Do you feel like you deserve the money that you're asking for? Do you feel like if, if all things were taken away from you and you could go around the country touring, do you feel like if you were to ask for this, you could do that confidently? And I couldn't do that confidently for a while. Like I would balk at 1500 for an hour, like, ah, that, that seems like too much. And then I kept saying to myself, if you feel like that, then there's a problem. So what is the, what is the issue? And I, I peeled back the layers. Um, I felt like it maybe made me feel selfish. So I'm asking people to be honest here. Maybe it felt like I was too entitled. Maybe I was stealing money from people. And then I said, if you feel like you're stealing money from people, then you're not really offering any value. And so then I, I changed that and I said, okay, fine. How do we change that stealing from your mindset, uh, mindset to understanding what you actually do? So I started to, okay, so what do you do, Tayo? Um, you help people to be seen, heard, and understood. How can that translate into revenue for companies? So if a company is able to retain their staff X amount of millions, that means they're cutting these amount of dollars and cutting this amount of dollars. When you're comparing that to your fees, how does that line up? It's the same sort of thing. And I started to really, I went granular to, to the point of really understanding that. And then it became easier for me to, to digest all that and say that. And I started watching what I was saying because a lot of times, you know how sometimes when you see someone in a Bentley or someone in a in a fast car, you're like, I, I bet that kid's stuck up. Sure. And even that's that's an innocent thing, right? It could be whatever. It is a statement. But whether it's true or not, the fact that that's a first thought that came to my mind, I'm like, I really think money really turns these people into stuff. Because I realize that money makes you more of who you are, honestly. And right. so... If I'm saying that, do I believe that if I get money, I'm going to turn into something else or how can I just be happy? And so I started watching my language and really understanding my my value more and more. So when someone came back to me and said, that's too much, I'm like, oh, it's fine. No worries. Um, whenever you're ready, you can do that. Instead of me saying, hey, hey, OK, 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 uh, OK, well, what is the budget you have? And then, OK, let me go there and let me go there. And then you lose your vantage point. But I had to have an honest conversation because I really felt money was a horrible thing and I was feeling like I was cheating people, and then I had to change my my uh, mindset around that. Sure, so. yeah. My, I mean, money is a multiplier. That's <laughs> that's the amazing thing. And it, and if you, if you started off and you were a dick, well, that's gonna make you you know a really horrible person. Yeah. It, you know, it's it's it just is. gonna put a and it puts a magnifying glass on everything. And yeah, the whole more. Uh, more money, more problems. Yeah, abs absolutely. It's it's, it's true. even that language. Even that language. More money, more problems. The the uh, money is at the root of all evil. I was looking at all these things. These are simple things. I'm like, but is it? It like when we say all these things, it can only be that if you believe, if you make it so, right? There are people 
like, for example, with your business, what you're doing is incredible by showing all these under 30 experiences and you and your wife are helping people, um, girlfriend, right? Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to, sorry, but, uh, <laughs> help, help people with, with different experiences to be better versions of themselves. These things in our community aren't celebrated as, as, as good things. And what we celebrate are the things that we call vices. And like, we need to be, look at that, the amount of women he slept with, the amount of cars he has and all that. But that does, that's not all money can do Sure. Like money can do, like you said, a multiplier. And so um, I started becoming mindful. I was letting it to end, end my head because it truly was unconsciously affecting me. And I would sell, I would pitch everybody and they would love it. And then when it came to ask it for them to ask me the price, I started stammering. And then they knew they had me. They're like, oh, yeah, this guy. <laughs> well, we can just say slash the price by 1500 um, and so I had to be able to get there. And so uh, that's the work you have to do. Just as much as you work out physically, you should be working out mentally, preparing yourselves for whatever response you might get and how you feel about yourself. Excellent. And I'm glad you mentioned mindfulness because it's a big, uh, big topic of, of the podcast here. So, okay. So now you want to, uh, pack it, you want to package yourself. And so could you, we heard a little bit about how you did that. Uh, could you talk about how people can actionably take what their credibility is and put it in a way where all of a sudden people actually want to pay them for something? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great question. So, um, once you've done the part of knowing who you are, and what, what problem you want to solve, right? Understand the problem you want to solve and why, what your story is with that problem, right? What's your personal story with that problem? Because that's often the connecting point. Um, I want to help the world connect effectively across cultures because from my life, I know what it's like to be in between cultures. I've also seen the negative drastic effects of that. And I can see how it affects businesses, da, 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 da. So to have a personal story with that. And then understanding where the people you want to reach, where is your audience? And so in my case, there are either aspiring change makers who don't know how to develop their voice or they're you know, HR, HR professionals or CEOs or marketing professionals who want to get into a wider audience and keep and retain their staff. And as you know, all that, you, you know who you are, you know why the problem relates to you and you know how it connects to a global, global point and you know where the audience is. It's about really positioning yourself as the person that can solve the problem. For, for retention problem, if, if I'm using my example, myself as an example, retention problem in HR, people, People leave the companies because they don't see any path for growth for themselves. They don't feel like they're enough of their, they're allowed to be themselves in the workplace. They feel like systems hold them down. And what if I could then say, hey, all my life I've been in those type of situations. I've worked at X amount of companies and this is how I've helped, uh, you know, these people um, create more inclusive environments. That will give you X amount of revenue and you save this amount of cost. If you can speak to how much you're saving people money or how much you're advancing someone, then you're, then you're able to package yourself so whatever you're doing whatever your story if you're cutting costs or you're causing someone to grow i'm gonna make you a better speaker make you fitter uh, be more mindful you're gonna have more retained staff x amount of shares if you can translate your problem to that then you're in there then you're then you're in the clear because you're able to speak to their need um and and you've moved beyond just connecting to the problem but you're able to say hey this is a problem you have i can make it better and so that that's the thing. And sometimes a lot of people do good, they do well at um, telling their story, but they don't do well enough at connecting it to them. You know, and that's where you hear, oh, that's a really inspiring story. 
um, I could tell my my brother <laughs> or I could tell my sister. I mean, she knows someone. But then if you say, well, I, you know, this is what's happening in your industry and this is this is getting slashed and this is the reason this is how I could help you get there and you can get cut there. And you're like, OK, this is worth the investment. That's really um, what it is when you're telling your story and connecting that into, into a packaging, um, all that. OK. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. One more thing. If you are still not sure. Um, I would ask you to poll your audience. We have polls to say, hey, what are the problems you're dealing with? If you have a group or anything, ask them what are the problems you're dealing with? And then from those problems, create, you can write articles, create podcasts, do anything out of those things, offer packages based on that. And so I have a problem dealing with such and such. I don't know how to save money on such and such. How to save money after college. I don't know how to do I don't know how to do this. How to network when I'm only 20 years old. So that, if you're able to do that way, it's user generated. That's another way if you're still lost. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get uh, this information from from you to our, our listeners. So I, I appreciate you you uh, jumping in there. And so then next step, once you feel like you really have something, well, let's talk a little bit about nuts and bolts of, of public speaking and how people can confidently go up there and whether it's a presentation like a, a keynote speech or a TED talk or to a small group uh, mm -hmm. presentation in the in the boardroom, say, uh, how can people become better at this skill? So the thing with public speaking is that it's about getting people from a current destination to uh, um, a current situation to a desired destination. And your job as a speaker is to be a guide, right? You need to help the audience feel like they're a hero in that story. It's not about yourself. Uh, it's not about you. It, it can be about you to a certain degree in your intro and all that. But you have to show them how to get to, from somewhere to somewhere. And, and, and it has to answer two questions. So what? And now what? So, so why should I care? And now what, what do I do? Right? What, what do I do beyond that? You know, a lot of politicians would probably do the so what, so what, and they wouldn't tell you now what. But they've already, they're so charismatic that they might have wrapped you up in the so what. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you forgot, wait, 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 what do we do? <laughs> I'll just vote, you find out. But, um, but um, so that's the thing. And, and, and that is honestly the key. So if you're helping someone become a better constructor, you, you can start off with, with who you are, your story. But you're saying, this is why this is important. You know, this is the industry right now. These are the things affecting it. But this is how you can move past that and create your own business. If you want to be, uh, if I'm telling you want to be a public speaker, for example, the masterclass I'm doing, um, I'll be tackling the issues on, okay, the limiting beliefs at first. I don't have a tragic story. Um, I, I've only, I'm only, I'm too young. Uh, my voice is too whiny. I hate the sound of my voice. I have a stage fright, all those things. And then you tackle those and say, you, then you combat with that, combat those things with how you can break through those. And then you get through, okay, well, what's the, how do I come up with the content of my story? I'm a rambler. How do you organize your thoughts? Well, you can use these structures. These are the structures that get you there. And these are why you tell them why these are why these structures work. This one, the, the numerical way works because it keeps people in that sequence. If you use a metaphor, it allows people to connect and remember quickly. Uh, and then, and, and you know, I'm, I'm just giving examples. Sure. And then, and then you go from there and then the delivery how do you do the delivery you can use your, your sound but I'm just taking people and then putting them in the stories where they're like oh I, I'm that delivery method I use that storytelling method uh, that metaphor is something I can connect with and that's all you're doing in, in the speech if you teach people about being mindful I, I've been learning about that so I'm, I need to take you 
your lessons. Um, but I, a lot of what I've been uh, learning, it's, you know, sometimes I, I think the thing that I had in my mind was, I can't stay still for this amount of minutes or, oh, I, I'm a mind person. Does that mean I'm not meditating enough or anything? They're like, no, just let the thought go through. And and when I when I had the course for that, they told, they started with those things. So like, these are the things you're probably dealing with right now with your skepticism. So they addressed my current situation and it got me to the desired destination. That's what public speaking is about people get com complex about they get they're really complicated in their heads when they say i have to sound like this person i'm not as loud as that person i'm not as charismatic as that person but what's going to happen on stage is that people want to feel like there's value and they're learning and even if you're you're the timid person that's shy to start stammering that can be endearing in an audience if they feel and they truly believe your story if you're someone with a different note if you're whatever you are i've seen it work in all ways um it doesn't have to be a certain way but you can't let go of the fact that you're the guide and you're saying that. I've even had people go up and stay and say, hey, look, it's my first time doing this. I'm a little nervous. So I'm, I'm, I might stammer a little bit, but blah, 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 blah. And the, the audience generally just goes, oh, no, we got you, we got you, we got you. And at the end, it's, it's a whole different experience. Start off with where you are and what you know, but don't lose sight that the audience is the hero of your story. That's great. You said, so what and what now? Or the, were those so what and now what? So, so what and now what? And now what? Yeah, I yeah. think those are... Uh, those, yeah. those are really good. So, so okay. So, if someone is petrified mm -hmm. to get up there, or uh, of course, I had thoughts. You know, I, I spoke in front of almost a thousand people uh, in at this mm. last conference, and I was like, "Damn, that's a big audience." I know that I can, you know, three fifty. I haven't. To me, right? I feel like I had a big enough. Stage presence where I can I can keep track of everybody and it can feel mm. intimate and nobody's trying to walk out the back door and all that. But I'm like, thousand people. I don't know. I don't know if I can. I don't know how big I am to be able to rope all those people in and it's, yeah. you know the lights are brighter and, and and all that kind of stuff. And so of course I had uh, some limiting beliefs pop up before and but I basically tried to say you know at the end of the day. It doesn't matter all that much. And mm -hmm. also, I just know the content so damn well. I'm very prepared. It doesn't matter. There you yeah, go. Is the, is yeah. that, that, that's what got me through the weekend. Mm -hmm. And once I got in there, it just kicked into to the flow state. I didn't even notice that there were a bunch of people in the room, to be honest. I just went up there and spoke about what I knew from the heart because I wanted to deliver value. I wanted to give and it went, it went amazing to be, to be honest. So what would you, t what would you tell people uh, who are trying to do that? Well, I mean, the reason why you're so good at what you do is because of what you just said. That's exactly. So a lot of times there, there's, I have some moments where I have anxiety because especially after the car accident, I had a huge anxiety. I'm still working through it. But a lot of moments in, in my most nervous, my most nervous have been two instances. And I speak 30 to 40 times a year, right? So this is this is something I always like to tell people. Even like Beyonce would tell you she has uh, nerves. And sometimes I heard Simon Sinek say this. Nerves and excitement are generally the same emotion. It's how you channel them. Hmm. But one of the things that help me uh, is, one, knowledge of the material. Right? So not knowing that I know the material a lot, just that to me is an easier thing. And not in a way where I'm... I'm I've just memorized or I've done, um, I don't know, any, anything is like, I know the material that, that, that helps one also look going in, taking in the environment, 
I remember I spoke to my largest audience this year. It was, it was 5,000 people um, in Chautauqua. And the night before, I went on stage. It was the empty amphitheater. And I was walking. I gave the speech. No one knew this. I just gave the speech. And I was like, this is bare. Me, I was looking there, looking there, and taking in that environment. Taking that ambience of the environment also calms your nerves down. Um, and then the other thing that I always say is also knowing that they came there for you, right? That, that it's the fact that they, they, someone read you by whether it was mandatory or not, if it's school or not, they came there expecting, already expecting that what you have is something that they're gonna, they're gonna, um, you're gonna get, deliver them something of value. So even if it's within the first few minutes that they're scoping you out, they're expecting something to learn and that puts you at an, an advantage point. Um, and I, 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 work, I always work with those, uh, those three things. And, and then also acknowledge, I always tell people to acknowledge whatever emotions they have. I, I've, like, you know, in a previous question you asked me, I said, sometimes it's okay to say, hey, I'm nervous. I'm super excited. And so I might, I might go fast. But, uh, but if there's anything, just let me know. And just, just talk into them. Those are connection techniques where you, you find someone or two people in the audience and you're like, hey, so I know this is Harvard and they've got all these things. I own only went to like a school that was never even considered as hard just starting stuff like that and you're like but you know i'm here i'm glad i did that just soothing yourself to talk yourself through those things sometimes when you say those things you want you slow down yourself and you're like warming yourself and you're getting your nerves down uh but really knowledge of material taking in the ambience and environment and um and acknowledging whatever your emotion is at the time um is, is key. Uh, and you see this from a lot of stand-up comics. I, I watch a lot of stand-up comics. I'm a nerd, so I watch a lot of different types of, of, of public speakers, but I learn a lot from stand-up comics. Even when they first start something, I'm like, oh, wow, Mad Square Garden, oh my gosh, I never thought I could do this. It's just here, mom. Oh, they're, they're just saying all these things, and they're, as they're doing that, they're, they're calming themselves down, they're clapping, and they're, as they, if they clap, they prop the audience to clap, and then that clap gives them adrenaline. They're like, okay, cool. All right, all right, and then they go. But these are subtle tricks that people don't normally pay attention to. But I'm like, oh, I know what he's doing there. I know what she's doing there. This yeah, to calm yourself down. That's yeah. really cool, especially about the stand-ups. I, I, I watch a lot. I have a uh, secretly, I would love to do stand-up sometime, but but I'm I would be petrified that the jokes would not be funny. But that's that's where I'm at with with that one. I'll uh, maybe we'll have to go to a comedy club sometime and uh, yes, and try it, it out. Yeah, yeah, no, let's do it. I, I think topical humor is, is mine, but is my favorite. But um, but I mean honestly, that's the answer to the question. And I think I think with a lot of what you're doing, which, which is the reason why I admire what you're doing, when you're sharing all these experiences, you're showing people. It, our generation and younger that your story matters you know like when we initially grew up a lot of times it felt it was when we look at entrepreneur you look at fortune you look at forbes it felt like there was a gulf between you and a successful person because it didn't seem like they had any journey is really where the story is and it's really something you have to fall in love with and when you bring all these under 30 experiences on here, it, it allows people to see, like, I can keep going. Um, that's what happened to me during those moments uh, where I, you know, I was just at the negative something bank account, not knowing when food was coming and debt, all that kind of stuff. Um, because I've whatever poverty experience you can explain, uh, whatever thought you could think of, I, I, I was I was there. And um, it really helps when you can hear a story. 
um, from someone who might be going through something similar. So I appreciate what you're doing. That's awesome. Well, th- well thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I, re- I really appreciate that. And, and before we wrap up, uh, honestly, I just wanted to ask you, because your line of work is inclusion and diversity and, and really just making the world a better and more accepting, more kind, loving place. Uh, those are, of course, my words. You might describe it a little bit differently, but I think that really is the essence of, of what you're out there doing every day. Uh, how can the people at home take a little something from this podcast, a little bit of wisdom mm-hmm. from from what you are teaching to be able to do this in their life to be able to to uh, make the immediate environment around them just a little bit better. What would you tell them? That's a you asked a lot of deep questions. Okay, um, so uh, I'm working on a book right now, which is on how to connect across cultures in divisive times, and these are the three premises. So I say educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. So I'm going to break them down. Now, on the education piece, it's about education of yourself and your environment. So let's start with education of yourself. Who are you? What are your biases? A lot of us, we go through lives, we make certain decisions, and we don't realize how they're informed by our subconscious, or we don't realize how they're informed by our biases. And so I always ask people, do you really take an inventory of your friends and your beliefs and then ask yourself why you believe those things? Are you aware of people you feel uncomfortable around? And if you feel uncomfortable around, why do you feel uncomfortable around them? This is not about calling you racist, sexist, or anything. It's more about just a real moment with yourself because everybody has a bias. Bias is is what makes you human. You have to know that you're not supposed to go this way. Cavemen have to know they're not supposed to walk in front of a lion or they get eaten up. Your bias is your, it's there. So now how do you know, how do you react based on what you know? Maybe you only lived in a certain area and you you're afraid of, of muslims you're afraid of black people you're afraid of that and then you're like okay so ask yourself that question why where did you get that thought from so the first thing is if you're not honest with yourself you can't be honest with society so understanding where those biases are and how you might be actually telling your brothers and kids or your son um this, teaching them the same behavior because a lot of these uh the ills of today's world are learned behaviors so one uh, second thing is education of your environment under the education ballot how many of you know your neighbors, your, your mayors, the capital of your, uh, the, the city that, that's next to you, or the, the, the legislator, or what, all that? How do you know how the same set of laws could affect different sets of people? All these simple things where, where they, they are every day, they affect everybody's lives. How do you know, do you know anything about them? You know, and, and, and it's as simple as understanding uh, the reason it's important is that this allows you to humanize people <laughs> and build empathy because sometimes we see things from only our perspective. But when you're not getting to the point where you uh, had um, uh, you had uh, you know you, you had a point where you, you were able to see other people's point of view, um, it becomes very hard for you if you don't train yourself to do that. And then on the don't perpetuate side, it's about your language and how you confirm and validate news. So the language, do you use jokes that further alienate different identities do you do you say oh that's just how all these people are or oh you're from this country that must be that all these simple jokes that might be funny like oh don't be soft they do make people that are affected by them probably feel like they can't voice out their opinions and then but um and and then on the the validating and sharing information part is many people throughout the last few years they've just been sharing based on headlines or 
things to confirm their beliefs. They believe in echo chambers. Do you only share things that are in your echo chambers? Or do you even read the news? Do you, do you even read the, the thing that you're sharing? Do you just look at the headline and share? A lot of us don't do that anymore. We are in a reactionary world. But what happens is when people keep seeing that, some of the amount of people that believe those stories um, multiplies. It's a, it's, a very, uh, <laughs> it's a very interesting world. And then the, the communicate piece is about communicating with people that have different values from you. Sometimes in today's world, if you don't believe what I believe, we're enemies. How can you deal through that? Um, how can you work through those conflict, uh, conflicts? How can you get to a point where you have less ego, more openness, and more opportunities? And um, and it's all those simple things. And 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 those are you know that's the the basics of uh, of what I feel like everybody can do on a daily basis. Damn well. Tayo, I know why your podcast has blown up, that you're getting 30 to 40 speaking gigs a year because you are talking about very important stuff with actionable things that people can pull and, and go out and do. So I really appreciate it. Can you tell everybody where they can connect with you and get involved with what you're doing? Make sure you say the name of your podcast and, uh, yeah, where people can find you online. So the name of my podcast is called As Told by Nomads, and you can find me online Anywhere at Ty Roxon, T-A-Y-O-R-O-C-K-S-O-N. So TyRoxon.com, TyRoxon on Instagram or uh, Facebook and uh, on Twitter. Um, but yeah, that's that's me. And you know, anything I'm doing for master classes or things like that will be publicized there. Beautiful. Appreciate it. This has been awesome. Thank you so much. It's Matt coming to you with a little update back here from Austin, Texas. I just got back from Southeast Asia, amazing trip out to Bali and Thailand where we ran our yoga and mindfulness retreat and it was an absolute blast trying to get new dates up there on the website for, shh, don't tell anybody, Black Friday is coming for under 30 experiences. So look out for that. Other than that, we of course have our April Costa Rica uh, yoga and mindfulness trip. Really excited about that to get to know people on the ground and I want to get to know you. So the best way that I know how is actually through Instagram message. I've been engaging with listeners with under 30 experiences, travelers, just with all sorts of people who have heard me speak uh, over the last year at different conferences and events. So hit me up at Matt Wilson TV, Matt Wilson TV, all one word on Instagram. I get back to every message. I want to hear from you. I want to know what you think of the show. I want to help you in any way that I can. I want to build relationships with you all because you are what keeps me going, trying to continually support this community that we've built, bringing you expert advice from people who are in the trenches, building business, businesses at the top of their game, traveling the world, keeping on the cutting edge of their health and fitness, uh, all the things that we talk about here on the Live Denver podcast. So I'd love to hear from you, Matt Wilson TV on Instagram. Also, I'm trying to get out and speak more, get in front of people, especially when I'm in the United States, but I'll speak pretty much anywhere in the world, uh, paid or unpaid in some situations. I 
was fortunate enough to go out to Hawaii and talk about millennials and travel this year uh, in Spain to talk about building community around a multi-million dollar business. I just spoke in front of almost a thousand college students at the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization in Kansas City. Yes, I will go near and far and uh, also got to speak out there in front of an elite group of entrepreneurs in Bali. So let me know if you are interested in interacting further with me at Matt Wilson TV on Instagram. Would love to hear from you. And one more thing, if this show has helped you in any way, shape, or form, I would be incredibly grateful if you could leave a review because that helps spread the good word. Throw up a five-star review. I appreciate it. Hit me up on Instagram and maybe I'll send you a little gift. Thank you guys. You rock.